Welcome to Dirty Drinks, where infectious disease and infection prevention professionals get together and talk about everything dirty that keeps them up at night. Join co-hosts Dr. Rick Starlin and Sarah Stream as they talk to other professionals about the dirty things that they think about every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of Dirty Drinks. How are you today, Rick? I'm doing well, Sarah. Yourself? Not too bad. The sun is shining. So it's a good day. Yeah, it almost feels like spring outside. I don't know if you've made it out, ventured out yet today, but it's nice. I have. It, have you seen the meme that says like there's winter and then full spring and then second winter and then another fake spring? <laughs> I haven't seen that, but that feels like somebody from the Midwest actually did that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where we're at. We're in full spring right now. <laughs> so this is, this is going to go away is what you're saying. Uh, that's my guess. I'm not a weather professional, but it's still February. So. Yeah. I think you're probably right. I think you're right. But whatever, we can enjoy it now. That's right. Go get out while the sun is shining. <laughs> vitamin D. That's right. You don't need any seasonal affective disorder with everything else going around. Right. Well, I am super excited for our guest today. Yeah, so am I. Today we have Allison Becker, who works with a local health department in Nebraska. And Allison, you are the first local health department person that we've had on that is outside of epidemiology. So we're excited to have you. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for letting me be on. Yeah, thanks. That's great. So North Central uh, District, where is that? So North Central District Health Department is based out of O'Neill, Nebraska. It's in northeastern Nebraska, and we cover nine different counties for our health region. Wow, that's a big area. Yes, pretty big span. O'Neill's in the middle. Um, we span an hour east and two hours west and half hour north, half hour south. Wow. Um, how many communities is that up there that you guys look at or hospitals or whatever you guys do? Um, I'd say it's around nine to 10 hospitals. Each county has um, their own pretty big hospital. Some of the counties have a couple different hospitals. Yeah, lots of tiny communities. Actually, I wish you could see the room I'm in um, running across uh, the outside. Uh, there's names of every single town in all of our districts. So it's got the tiny towns, too, of like 10 people, 300 people, etc. Interesting, interesting. I'm sure all of that presents some interesting challenges for you guys. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Um, I know one of the challenges is um, when we're getting our COVID vaccines out, uh, we really try to get to all the different communities. But since we are spread out over nine different counties, um, a lot of times it's we got to hit one place in one county and um, Sadly, that means some people have to travel to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So you are in a fairly rural area. Is that correct? Yes. A very rural area. <laughs> <laughs> so for those that don't know Nebraska, it's very flat. And when you get outside of Omaha, Lincoln, it is very rural. So yeah. O'Neill's the biggest town in all nine of our districts and it has about 3,700 people. Is that all that are in O'Neill? Wow. I thought it was a little bigger than that. Yeah. Man, That's smaller than the small town I grew up in. Very <laughs> small. 
So um, uh, tell us about your journey to where you are today. How'd you end up doing uh, public health, uh, health department work in um, the North Central District of Nebraska? Yes, yeah, so this is actually kind of a little bit of a long story, but um, back in March of 2020, when COVID first hit, um, I was in college getting my undergrad degree at UNL in Lincoln. Um, and then the home orders came in place. So I came home from Lincoln, stayed here in my hometown, and I was really trying to figure out I needed to get an internship to graduate. And I was planning on doing my internship of fall of 2020. So I was really trying to see and decide if um, how COVID was going to work, you know, was it only going to last two weeks, like they said at the time, would I be able to go back to Lincoln to do my internship? Um, or should I try to find one at home? And I was trying to find different internships in Lincoln, but they were all very iffy too at the time because um, of their own COVID policies. And I ended up reaching out to our director here, Roger Weesey, and I kind of just expressed like, hey, I'm looking for an internship. Is there anything that I could do to potentially do an internship here? And he kind of said, he's like, well, I can offer you a job, but um, hopefully that might count towards your internship. You can get some of the same things going here. So that is how I started working out here. I started as an intern back in August of 2020. And kind of on that journey there, when I first started, I was just getting into it. So my main role was working with PPE. We had PPE shipments come in every week. Um, all of the long-term care facilities and hospitals were having a really hard time getting any of their PPE in. So we were getting PPE from the state and my main job was to take requests from them, sort them and communicate times that they could come pick their stuff up. Kind of from there, I've just kind of progressed through. Um, we started a testing program soon after that with Test Nebraska. I helped our testing nurse do that. Um, I helped with the forms. We did that for a few months. That was really busy here around our area. We had big drive-through clinics. Um, yeah, went through a crazy amount of people in a short amount of time, but we were glad to get that out for the community. And soon after that, um, COVID vaccines got approved. So I kind of progressed and I moved into becoming the COVID-19 vaccine clinic manager. So with that role, every day I was heading out and we were going to different communities, giving the vaccines out. Um, kind of with my role there, I kind of just made sure everything was set up right, make sure everyone knew what they were doing. We relied a lot on um, many volunteers from lots of our hospitals to come and help us out with that. Um, so kind of worked with them, make sure everything was going smooth. And then um, this last summer, our vaccine intake kind of decreased a little. Um, you know, most of the people who wanted their vaccines had gotten them at that time. Boosters weren't approved yet. And the position opened up for the COVID response coordinator. And I have progressed into that role. So now my day-to-day -day life kind of looks like attending these conferences, um, getting the information. I am the school liaison and the long-term care facility liaison. So I just communicate with all the schools in our districts, all the long-term care facilities in our districts, make sure we're all on the same page, um, working through conferences with them on any updates. And um, I guess along with that too, I also run the COVID media. Um, one thing that I'm working really hard on that I started this last summer is I call it COVID chat. Um, there are these videos and it originally started as I wanted to create them to kind of be myth busters against things going on in the media, 
that aren't true. Um, try to keep them short and simple, a minute to two minutes. Basically, um, I tried to take the resources, read the resources as they were, and then give it out in layman's terms. Kind of be like, this is why some people, uh, like an example, this is why some people think that the COVID vaccine may affect your fertility. This is the research that it does not. Here's my sources. This is kind of take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of kind of long, but that's how I got where where I am right now. No worries. That's why we had you on because we wanted you to tell your story. <laughs> yeah, so great. I mean, you came on at a, obviously a very interesting time for public health, we will say. Um, and, you know, we're located here in Omaha, which obviously is a completely different deal than where you're located. So I imagine that the logistics of getting everything done that you needed to get done for the people that live in your, your area, what you, know, you said a couple hours west, hour east, 30 minutes up and down each direction. I mean, that's a big area. Even if there's not a lot of people there, you still want to offer the services, either the testing or the vaccines or whatever to all those areas. So that fall on you logistically to figure that out since you kind of took on those roles? Um, so with the vaccines, um, we have our vaccine coordinator here who before COVID worked with doing all these flu clinic vaccines um, for all of our other vaccines. We have two shingles, um, et cetera. And so every year she kind of had her plan. She hits all of these communities within a two month span between October and November normally for her flu shots. So um, originally with the COVID vaccine, she coordinated with our emergency response coordinator and they kind of created a plan there. But a lot of it is based off of what she used to do and how she would go to all these different communities for her flu shots. But we kind of just scrunched it into a shorter period of time and then repeated it so we could go back for um, second doses and boosters. And now we even have fourth shots in some people. So it's, uh, I mean, it's the logistics of it is, is tough. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the other thing that we know different between the metropolitan Omaha area and rural areas has been just the uptake in the vaccine. And so I imagine, I'm interested to hear your myth busters, uh, how that's gone and how that's been received. Um, because it's just that the vaccines haven't really caught on in our more rural parts of the state. Right, right. Yeah. No, a lot of it is, it does come down to um, vaccine misinformation. Um, you know, some people are scared to ask questions, but that is ultimately why we're here. We're here to answer questions. We're not here to pester and pry at every single person that calls in and be like, you need to get your COVID shot. You have to do this. Um, we're really trying to force a more open approach so people do have the place to come and ask questions. Um, and that's kind of how we're trying to go about it right now. But um, yeah, a lot of it comes down to myth busting and um, misinformation right there. There's a lot of that out there mm -hmm. for sure. Um, now you said you completed your internship and somewhere in there you graduated, right? Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, what is your degree in, if you don't mind me asking? So my undergrad degree is in human development and family studies. Um, I got that in December of 2020, and I'm actually um, getting my MSW right now. I'm getting, uh, I'm in my master's class for social work right now. I'm doing 
that online as well. Very cool. Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. So where do you see yourself? Like imagine COVID ends. Let's all picture that for just a few seconds and smile. Um, if COVID ever ends, what do you picture yourself doing after that? There's, I guess, a few different options here. Um, realistically, I know COVID will end. And ever since I've been hired, my position has always been a very COVID-oriented position. Um, COVID probably won't be a permanent position in the health department, so I know I do not have a permanent position. But um, I guess kind of after COVID, hopefully... I will have my MSW by then, but I'd love to stick around in the rural region. Um, I'd love to be either a school social worker or potentially work as like a clinical social worker. Kinda, kinda up in the air right now. I'm still exploring my options, but I do like the area that I live in and I do wanna stay rural around here. I've even talked about too, um, I know some health departments are able to have like mental health counselors and do some of that within their health department. So maybe potentially one day we can incorporate that into our health district as well. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. How many people do you work directly with there? Um, we have around 20-ish employees. 20-ish employees in the whole health department? Yes. Yep. And so not, all, not everybody's doing COVID then. Obviously you still have to do the other things that health departments do, right? Correct, yes, yep. So yeah, that's and you have nine counties. You said, "Yep, man, <laughs> seems like a lot of work." Yeah, yeah, it is a lot of work, but um, it we make it happen. Yeah, the are great to work with too. Um, obviously, it would be great if we could have um, more of a focus on a smaller area just to focus on that direct area but um, all the communities we work with are really great at understanding. Uh, we do cover nine counties and like I said, yeah, they're really easy to work with and they're great at communication. Smaller areas probably come with a lot more people in those smaller areas. So you have different, uh, different things. But what's, um, would you say has been most rewarding thing for you and what you've been doing? Oh gosh. Um, there's a couple things that, that come to mind. Um, one of the first things I think of, I really enjoyed when I was going to COVID vaccine clinics every day. That was just such a change from the tone and the mood that we had in the office every day beforehand. I mean, at that point, we were just getting honestly bad news. We were calling people, telling them they had COVID, that they were sick, calling their close contacts at the time, being like, hey, you got a quarantine. It was kind of a, a sad and draining type of work to have to do. But then on the flip side, once we started these vaccine clinics, they were a whole different mood. Everyone was happy to be there. They were happy that, hey, there's a vaccine. There could potentially be an end here. And just being able to be at those first few vaccine clinics that I was at um, really helped my perspective of public health in general and kind of the lows and the highs and how there will probably be lows and highs to continue. But for every low, there is going to be a high eventually. Yeah. Very good outlook. I certainly remember our first vaccine clinics. Everybody was excited. The mood was up for the first time. And, you know, who knows how long it was uh, certainly seemed like that was going to 
help us a lot. Although it's now what 13 months, 14 months later, and right. here we are. But still, it was an important step. Yes, yes. Now I find rewarding too another thing. Um, just kind of with my background and going into social work. Um, I know there is hard days in the office, but every now and then um, I'll pick up the phone, just the regular office phone, take a call, and I'll end up having a 20 to 30 minute conversation with someone. And a lot of times I really enjoy those conversations too. It's often people calling in to, sometimes they start off sounding kind of angry, but then they actually aren't angry. They're just like, I have all these questions and I'm scared. I don't really know the answer to them. Can you help me? Or is there a way that you can direct me towards different resources? And sometimes even just being that ear. Um, I'm sure anyone who deals with customer service will take phone calls. And sometimes you are just the ear to someone that needs to be on the phone. And I kind of enjoy being that person if someone needs that during their day for a 10 minute conversation. Very cool. So I know there is probably like for the public and probably for some of our listeners out there, um, there are a lot of unknowns to what you do in a local health department. So could you maybe walk through um, the thing that I'm thinking about right now specifically is like, what happens when there's a positive COVID test? You know, a lot of people think, oh, well, I got a positive result. And these people called me to find out who I'd been around. But there's a lot more to it than just that. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, just kind of on that note too, um, honestly, before I started working here, I really didn't know what the health department did in general. Um, I kind of remember when I was younger in school, they'd have the drug-free assembly. And that's kind of all I remember from the health department. But yeah, there's definitely so many different areas and so many different people working to make this all work and um, just to promote the public health in general. But yeah, so when someone tests positive for COVID, um, we have our contact investigation lead of the day. Um, normally it's the same person every day and she checks our boards. We get notifications from hospitals on what we call NEDS and we'll get lots of faxes, but her role is to kind of see all of those results that we get from all the hospitals um, and checking all of those faxes as well. Um, what she does is she takes all the information. We have them grouped in three different categories. So we have a zero to 18, we have a 19 to 64, and then a 65 plus. And at our health district, we have three different people contact investigation, contact investigating that day, um, one person for each age group. Um, so then she puts them on their board. So then they'll check the zero to 18. And right now we have moved to just sending out a survey. We have them fill out. Um, we, like a year ago, we were calling all of our positive cases, but realistically, um, we just could not make that work um, and continue to be successful in trying to reach everyone within a timely manner. So we send out that survey in the morning um, and the survey just kind of entails some information like their name, birth date, address, um, if they've had their COVID vaccine, if they know where they got COVID from, and then if there's anyone in the household. And at the end of that survey, we have um, some infographics. We use the Knowledge infographics and they are very great pictures of, which I'm sure you both have seen, but they're great pictures on 
where it says, if you've tested positive for COVID, this is what you need to do for day one, two, three, four, et cetera. Um, especially with the new isolation and quarantine guidelines, um, we really push those infographics for people to follow for each day that they test positive. So then after they fill that survey out, um, we have a huge running board of every single case we've had. And we just chart, we have one page where we chart their name and their address and that information. And then we have another page where we just take general information, like what age group are they in? Are they in 10 to 19? Um, what county do they live in? And then just general information. And then that's how we get our data is from the information that they give us. Or if they don't fill up the survey, then the information that they um, provided when they got tested. It's quite the process. Yes, that is quite the process. But, um, so yeah, every one person that tests positive, they will probably work through three to four people here in our health department just to get all of their information put in and get everything ready. And it seems like you broke up your age groups kind of based into different risk categories or, or categories of when people could get vaccinated potentially too with the under 18. So when you get somebody to say in the older age group, um, are you looking to see, are they in long-term care or residential care or something? And then looking for clusters of cases that might give you something to be like, uh, hey, we need to talk to this facility and see what's going on. Because obviously that's been, I mean, historically the highest risk people throughout this um, pandemic. And so I'm just curious how you guys go as an automated or do you guys actually have to just pay attention and say, hey, I saw somebody at this home positive yesterday and now I've got somebody else positive today. How does that all mesh together? Yes. So typically if someone at um, a nursing facility or a long-term care facility tests positive, normally they'll either call us or send me an email and be like, Hey, we had this person test positive. Um, and that's kind of my role as the long-term care facility liaison, um, is to kind of be that middleman. And hopefully they let us know before we get the results through our systems. Um, and then they'll just say, Hey, they tested positive this day. They had their vaccine booster. Um, they've been in contact with these people. And then we have them reach out to ICAP and then um, ICAP kind of works with them on what they need to do for their facility. But there is sometimes where, you know, if they do have an outbreak or they have a lot of cases, um, it'll come through our queue. But our, um, our head epidemiologist nurse is pretty good at checking all of it and she'll see an address and she'll be like, oh, that's kind of familiar. The age group looks like it might be someone in a long-term care facility. And then she'll cross check and be like, Hey, yep, that was a, that was a resident here. Let's reach out to them and kind of see if they need anything, need any PPE, any test kits and make sure they're doing okay. I mean, so, the same thing could be from under the 18 age group with schools. Yeah. Um, so with schools too, um, with in our districts, each school can create their own policy on what they want their students to do if they've been exposed. So that's another barrier here. Um, in our survey and the text message we send out to those zero to 18, it's um, at the end of the message, we emphasize, make sure you call your school and ask about um, their siblings. Some schools have their siblings stay home for five days, 10 days. Some schools are like, if the siblings aren't showing any symptoms, they can come to school as long as they wear a mask. So that's another barrier there. Um, just reaching out to the schools and making sure that they're on the same page with their students 
and what they expect and we're on the same page with them as well. Yeah, I'm sure that is a huge barrier with schools. Yes, yeah, especially where, yeah, each school, every school is different with what they have their policy set as to. Yeah, I know my kids, you know, I'm in a district where we get notified if there's a positive and especially with Omicron, they've just been rolling in every day. I'll get an email from each one of the kids schools that says we have five more positives or we have a teacher positive or something like that. So um, with you, is it um, anyone in the school? They'll say, Hey, we had someone test positive or is it specifically like in the grades that you'd get notified? No, like they keep it very general. So it just mm-hmm. says we had five new positives in the high school. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. With, with our districts, um, we have it still in place, the one, two, three case method. Not sure if you guys are familiar with that, but um, if there's a student and they test positive and they were at school while they were infectious, that's the first case. So then all the students that would have been in contact with them, so either the same class or if they're in high school, all the students and the potential classes that they had, they would get a letter sent home and the parents would be notified like, hey, there was, your, your child was exposed to one person. Um, just make sure you're monitoring them for signs and symptoms for the next 10 to 14 days and keep them home if they show any symptoms. And then say there's a second case in the third grade classroom, then they would send a letter home and say, hey, says pretty much the same thing, but now they typically require all their students to mask since there's been two linked exposures. And then if there's a third case, um, that we can confirmed is epi linked from school, then we would ask that they potentially um, send that class home to quarantine for a few days, or that's when they call and communicate with us like, hey, all three of these cases, are they specifically epi linked to this classroom or did this case get sick because their brother is sick? Um, you know, they, they really do want to keep all their kids in school, which we want to keep the kids in school too, as long as they can stay healthy. So We try to create a plan there, whether that's maybe taking a Friday off so they have a three-day weekend um, to see if any signs and symptoms arise or if they make everyone mask. Um, Yeah, we just kind of coordinate there. Yeah, figuring out those epi links when there's massive amounts of community cases is it's difficult. I know I struggled with it uh, with employee health work. And so it's pretty much impossible uh, when you have massive amounts of cases to know where people are getting exposed. I mean, it's basically... If you leave your house, you're breathing, and you're not wearing a mask, you're probably potentially exposed. It's if you're yes, it yes. like, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it's crazy. Yep, it's, and then put 300 kids in one building together. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. A question. So you mentioned something about the the changing isolation guidance, and so this is something that that you know we struggled with some, and I imagine in public health you guys have as well. Um, you know, obviously the whole pandemic, every, things have changed as we've gotten more um, information and whatnot. And I think uh, maybe an accurate way to put it is that the information that has present, been presented to the public through the CDC and public health has been accurate, but the messaging maybe hasn't been on point because it's been difficult to understand. And I'm not trying to put you on the spot there and make you pick on anybody or anything like that, but I imagine that that's created some difficulties in your job. Yes, for sure. Um, Yeah, when they changed the guidelines from um, if you test positive, you could potentially only have to isolate for five days. Um, 
that has for sure been hard to get that message out. Um, like you said, I follow what they're doing, um, especially where if you're feeling sick day seven, day eight, you still need to stay home. Um, but yeah, it's hard to get that message out. I mean, at first we were even confused. Um, just everyone, all the community members were confused. So it's like, okay, is it five days? Is it 10 days? Is it six, seven? Like what does the first day for this count as, um, so a lot of that comes through. I try, like I said, with my COVID chat videos, I created one about the new isolation guidelines. So I tried to break it up and explain it in layman's terms again. But um, yeah, we're really just trying to push it through media. Um, at the end of our surveys that we send out, even if they don't respond, we send the infographics and we really stress the importance of if you still feel sick after day five, then you need to stay home. and. Um, you need to wear a mask. It's kind of there to help people who really need to still be at their job. Um, they need to pay their bills if they aren't feeling sick and they need to go back to do that. Um, then that's a good opportunity for them. But people who still feel sick or if they can stay home the 10 days, um, we just try to push that as well. Um, we, like I said, we try to push it through our media. A lot of times we do have people just call in and be like, Hey, I tested positive. I'm confused. Can you, talk this out with me and explain how long do I need to stay here? What do I need to do next? And I assume you, you in the health department world just heard of the changes just at the same time everybody else did, right? It's not like there was anything that said, hey, we've got this update coming. We're going to do this and this is how we're going to message it. It was just dropped and here you go, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and uh, you know, in Omaha, we currently have a mask mandate which is marginally followed in some cases, you know, some, some places are better than others, um, you know, whatever, but the rest of the state does not. And I don't imagine there's a lot of people walking around in masks in general. Some of those people probably are just recovering from COVID. So to me, it almost seems like if you wanted to my five days of isolation, I'm feeling well, I'm just going to go out. It's like almost like a get out of jail free early card. Um, and I just don't think the, it, it, it came across in a confusing way, as you had said, and I, I think people don't know how to necessarily uh, just apply that. And where did it come from? Yeah, no, it for sure is confusing. Like I said, it was extremely confusing to us at first, confusing to everyone. Um, yeah, it is hard. Um, because I like to think most people don't want to do the wrong thing intentionally. Hopefully that's how the case is. So it's not like people are sitting here like, oh, it's five days. I'm purposely going to go and expose all of these people because I want to do that. A lot of it just comes down to misinformation and not understanding how the new guidelines do apply to these situations. Yeah, and the media is not helping at all. No. with things mm -hmm. you know they just come out and say oh cdc says five days now and that's the end and that's where people get their news from right they don't actually go to the cdc website and look at that recommendation and all of the little caveats that are underneath that bullet that says isolate for five days yep yeah especially where with the news sources or even like the facebook articles that is their title it's cdc changed their isolation to five days and while the article may state in there these are why it's five days or it might not be five days for you. Um, 
kind of causes a gap there if people don't read the full thing or don't fully understand it. Yeah, I've noticed on Twitter lately, if you try to retweet an article without opening the link, it will ask you, do you want to read this article before you share it? Oh, really? I never, I didn't see that. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a step in the right direction in social Mm -hmm. media, but you know, it's just another button that somebody has to push. No, I don't want to read it. I'm just going to share it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. Like, did you read the terms and agreements? Yes. Yes. It is. Yes. yes. <laughs> I was going to read it, but I was mildly thirsty. So I had to go to the kitchen and get a soda. <laughs> yes. Have you gotten involved in any of the other reportable illnesses for the public health department? I know you said you've mostly been COVID. I was just curious if you've had the the pleasure of doing any of that contact tracing for like a STI or something like that. I have not. No. Um, I remember we did have an outbreak of something. I don't remember what it was. It was about a year ago, but I watched our head epidemiologist nurse work that and that was also when she was in charge of all of the COVID cases, but she also has all of the other um, investigations that she is responsible for as well. And I know while the COVID inv- investigations may take a lot of time to call and track and report, a lot of those other investigations take just as long, if not way longer to complete and do. So I have not personally, but I know it's, it's very taxing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, not the easiest conversations in the world in some of those cases. And it does take a lot of time and those things still happen, right? I mean, so the rest of the work that was being done before, maybe we didn't have influenza, um, you know, so you didn't really have a lot of those cases last year, but there's still everything else going on that the health department has to do, right? Right, yeah. And I would say pretty much all of our employees that we have that work at the health department help with COVID in some way whether that's helping do contact investigation one day, whether that's volunteering to help at one of our vaccination clinics one day a week. Um, So it is pulling all of our departments a little bit and everyone's getting their foot in the door there. So before we started recording, we were chatting a little bit about volume of cases. Um, And I know, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, Um, we saw all of these cases happening and about November, December, 2020, they really peaked for everybody. Right. And then we've had this new Omicron wave come about and they've peaked again. Um, do you want to talk about what you saw in your district? Yes, for sure. Um, so kind of with where O'Neill is, um, everything that happens in Omaha, it'll happen to us, but just a little bit later, like a week or two after just how like Omaha looks at and follows different states. Um, We follow what Omaha does because it's going to come a week or two after that. But two or three weeks ago, we did have our case rate high for the week. um, And it was tremendously higher than it had been throughout the whole pandemic. So a few weeks ago, we had about 560 cases over a whole week. And previously, our high before that was around 360 in October or November of 2020. And I knew Omicron was hitting hard, but me, myself, 
seeing that statistic first pop up, like, hey, it is tremendously higher than it has been the whole pandemic. I had to go back and check our records and be like, okay, like, is this actually higher? Like, this seems really high for me. And yes, it was almost double that it was back then. And with those, with the Omicron rates, you know, we, in our local area anyway, we saw that really drastic spike in cases. And now we're starting to see a drastic fall. Are you guys seeing those same trends in your area? Yes, yes, we are. Um, like I said, like three weeks ago, we had our pandemic case high and then it slowly started to drop. Um, we were at about 560 for the week and then the next week it dropped to around 460 um, and then about 360. And then I just checked for this last week. Um, I can't remember the exact number, but it was, it was still going down. So we are on the downhill now and I'm just hoping and crossing my fingers that it's going to continue to go down and not be a false decrease. Yeah, we aren't sure yet. I mean, our, our decline has been almost as fast as our incline, not quite as fast, but we don't know if there's going to be a long tail. One of these new other uh, Omicron variants, BA2 or something, is going to prolong this. Are we going to have another spike? I mean, we have so many people immunized and so many people that have just recently had COVID that we should have a fair amount of immunity for the time being. But what does what does that exactly mean uh, is something we're curious about as well. And the good news from being in Nebraska and being in Omaha and then being in O'Neill is that we get to see what others' experiences are and, and, and learn from them, right? Yes, yes. One question that I have, again, about uh, just working in this is that, uh, you know, in healthcare in general, there's been a lot of burnout, a lot of people leaving healthcare and, um, and uh, just deciding to do something else completely. How has that been in public health? I'm sure that you guys have been short-staffed and stressed and everything else too throughout this. Is, are many of your colleagues still doing this or just deciding they're going to move on? Um, we've had many of our colleagues still stay strong. Um, got a pretty strong group here. Obviously, it was it was really rough about a year ago. It was rough for everyone. Lots of people were putting in extra hours. But as time progresses, we create better strategies. So like like I said, like a year ago when we thought we had our, well, it was our high at the time, but we thought that was the worst it could get. It was like 300 plus people a week. At that time, we were calling every single person. We were calling all of their contacts. If anyone didn't answer, we would call them back for like the next two days. And now moving this way to help with burnout and to make sure we aren't having to put in crazy hours all the time. Um, just transitioning, like I said, one of our um, strategies for that is the survey. Right now, everyone should know if you test positive for COVID, you need to isolate. If you've been exposed, you need to stay home. Or if you've been vaccinated, then uh, you need to just monitor for signs and symptoms and mask as you go out. Um, kind of at the point now where we just have a better system and a better way to work through all of this. So that's kind of how we've helped with burnout. Um, I know a lot of the hospital staff around our districts too, they're feeling the burnout. I mean, when we had that many cases, they were they were full. They were having tons of people come in with COVID, without COVID, trying to run like normal, um, having a hard time trying to find hospital beds here, having a hard time trying to fly people out to Omaha, Lincoln, et cetera, if, if they were having issues and needed help. Um, I know they've been taking a lot of the brunt of that. And um, I haven't heard a lot of response from them recently, but I'm hoping that it's at least a little better with the slow decline in our cases around here. 
sick people in hospitals and rural areas, and typically they transfer to, you know, Omaha, Lincoln, a higher level of care. Even in your case, it might even go to Faith Regional. Um, right. And, you know, that was basically shut down due to uh, hospitals being full, lack of staff and everything else. And so kind of the strain that that might have put on the community and, and, and the hospitals locally in general. I don't know if that's something you can comment on or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I can comment on that a little bit. Um, some of this isn't just from seeing it from my role in the health department. Some of it is, you know, I see my friends on Facebook, they might comment something and they'll say, my mom is having a really hard time. Can everyone keep her in your thoughts and prayers? They're trying to get her transferred out to a different facility, but they're having such a hard time finding her a bed anywhere. Um, and just seeing that, that was really rough too. Um, typically when um, there is a big case or something like that, um, they do get transferred out of our local hospitals. They'll go to a bigger facility. And it was really hard trying to find open beds for, for people around here. I know people were calling all day for a day, trying to find a bed for one of their patients, or they were calling nonstop for six hours, trying to find any hospital around the area that would take them to give them the care that they needed. And that was that was hard too. I know a lot of our physicians around the area were expressing how, yes, we see it in the media. All these hospitals are having such a hard time and living in a rural area. A lot of time people are like, Oh, like that's, that's a big city. That's in New York, um, even in Omaha, but that was happening to us in our smaller hospitals too. They're having a hard time trying to get people in and get them to other places to get the, the proper care that they needed. Yeah. I think that's, it's been a nationwide issue. Yes, for sure. So, yeah. Big cities, rural cities, hidden everywhere. Yeah. So would you have any advice for anyone that was maybe interested in getting into public health? Yes. Um, honestly, public health in general, you think it's only nurses, only doctors. Um, public health is has a lot of different areas you can go into. Um, here we have our drug and alcohol prevention program. We have our Miles of Smile program, which is um, a dental service that goes to all the schools and does dental care there. It's really broad and there's a lot of different ways that you can go into it if you wanna get into public health. And I would just recommend reaching out to someone who works somewhere in public health, um, asking them what they do every day, asking them how they got where they are, um, what they can do to get into their position, or even just making contacts with like a director or um, a supervisor at any of the public health departments and kind of expressing like, hey, I do have interest in this. Um, just wanted to let you know and kind of working with them to see if there's an opportunity or in the future, if they um, keep your name in the back of their head, like, oh, maybe they want to work for us someday. Like we can be on the lookout for them potentially. That's yeah, great. great. Yeah, great advice, great advice. Another question um, about, uh, you mentioned Nebraska ICAP before as a resource that you guys have recommended to other people. Have you, as the health departments, used that as a resource too, just to get information or, or continuing education or anything uh, along those lines? Has it been something that you have uh, used yourself? Me, myself, yes. So I, um, I attend the weekly ICAP call every Thursday. Um, Part of my role there is to attend it, listen to all of the key information, and hopefully our nursing facilities and long-term care facilities can join in, but obviously 
they're very busy if they're in an outbreak or they just aren't able to make it. Um, I make sure I attend it and I get the key and most important information out to them if there's any changes. And like I said too, with our long-term care uh, facilities, we take cases if they have any, but all of the recommendations they get on quarantining patients, um, they have different zones they need to go into. That's all what ICAP recommends and um, doing a great job on getting responses fast as I'm sure they're getting lots and lots of calls every day from different facilities. But um, what ICAP recommends the facilities to do, that's what we recommend them to follow. Yeah, it's been a crazy two years for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have any questions for us? I know I asked you this earlier, Sarah, but what does your everyday look like? Sure. So um, my everyday, uh, I work on the ICAP team and we're grant funded. So we have a lot of different grant programs right now. Um, so right now we support obviously long-term care. We've talked about that. Um, dental facilities, acute and outpatient clinics, our hospital systems, um, dialysis, home health, just, you know, any healthcare facility you can think of, we're able to support them in their infection control. So we do a lot of outreach to those facilities. We have an infection control hotline that people can call into and get connected with an IP or a medical director if they have questions. Um, and I would suggest that everybody in Nebraska writes that phone number down in case you have a question. Um, we also do a lot of education. Like you said earlier, we have our weekly long-term care webinar. We have an acute and outpatient webinar we do every two weeks, um, a dental newsletter. We're working on a school newsletter. So we really try to promote all of the educational resources that we have access to. So there's a lot of content development and planning meetings that go along with that as well as um, we do on-site infection control assessments. So we will go into uh, facilities totally free of charge, walk through their infection control policies, um, observe what they have going on on the floor, and then come back with those recommendations on how to make their, their program better. I think that's great. Um, even if they do have a good system, getting a second pair of eyes every time will help them become even better. Yeah, there's always a way to make it better, right? Yes. Yep. <laughs> what about you, Dr. Starlin? What does your everyday look like? Um, that uh, is a great question. <laughs> um, so it depends on the day and what I'm actually doing. So I have various hats that I wear. So um, uh, one of the things I do is I'm a clinician. So I see patients uh, many days of the week, um, mostly in the hospital as an infectious disease physician. Um, I also have uh, uh, half a day of clinic most weeks in my general infectious disease clinic. Once or twice a month, I have a non-tuberculous mycobacterial clinic that uh, me and one of my colleagues run as well. And I'm also medical director for employee health at Nebraska Medicine, which has been insane for the last uh, two years, starting from the very first uh, patients that came to the United States from the Diamond Princess cruise ship back in, what was it? I don't know, was it February 19th of uh, 
2020, something like that. Um, so yeah, so, so, um, so that's, uh, and, and I have a few other medical directorships that I help out with, including uh, acute care with Nebraska ICAP that I get to work with Sarah and the other outstanding infection preventionists. And sometimes they ask me to, to do fun things like talk to people and, and be involved in outbreak investigations and answer questions and things like that. So it's a wide variety of things. And uh, I think uh, the ICAP team is, they're, they're amazing. They do, they've done a great job and the amount of impact that they've had has been incredible. And I'm happy to just, you know, help whenever asked. And somehow you find time to sit on a podcast for an hour every once in a while. Well, this is, this is actually great. This is, this is fun. I get to meet people, talk to people, learn what they do and why they do it and, and ask questions that I wouldn't otherwise get to ask. So that's, it's, this is a lot of fun. I, if I could do this multiple times a day, I would do it. Do you have any other questions for us, Allison? I don't think I have any questions. Just thank you both for all the work you guys do every day. And that's great. I love the podcast. I, like I said, when I first listened to my first episode, I heard it and I was like, this is great. I wish I had listened to it even sooner. <laughs> well, thank well, we you thank for the you. kind words. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us and reaching out to us. Um, and uh, I'm interested to see where your career goes after the pandemic. So keep, uh, keep in touch with us if you end up not uh, uh uh, having to listen into weekly <laughs> ICAP COVID calls anymore. <laughs> hopefully, I mean, I enjoy listening to them. I learn a lot, but hopefully they aren't here forever. <laughs> yes, that would be nice. It would also be nice if the CDC would drop their updates like before five o'clock on the day before we have a webinar. <laughs> yes, that would be the perfect. <laughs> Sarah loves that. It makes for such a good night. <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> rapidly, rapidly update a few slides and talks, right? But it's the whole presentation, the whole thing. <laughs> Doesn't matter what we were doing, it all goes in the garbage. We start <laughs> over. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Allison. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. And for all of our listeners out there, thank you for joining us for this episode of Dirty Drinks. You can follow us on Twitter for more of the conversation and we will see you again next week. Bye everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed this content, please share it with your friends and don't forget to be a part of the conversation by following us at dirty underscore drinks on Twitter. If you would like to share your story, reach out to us through Twitter to become a guest on future episodes. We would love to meet you. Have a great week and make sure to get your fill of dirty drinks.